Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. It's that time of year again. Football about to start uh, camps, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. But wait, we have two huge series uh, in the finals of both the ice sport and the round sport. The NBA, the Cleveland Golden State round four. And NHL, totally unprecedented with an expansion franchise versus one that hasn't ever won. So Amy Tenery, editor globally and uh, Reuters Digital. Amy, what's your perspective on all of this? Hey, um, well, you know, I was sort of comparing those two, and it's been it's been so exciting, you know, with uh, this kind of unprecedented NHL matchup, right? We've got uh, a team that has never won the title, the Caps, and we have a team that's never been in the league until this year with with the Knights um, and uh, and I'm sort of curious to get your perspective because we have once again an NBA matchup in the finals that feels oddly familiar which is Warriors Cavs as you mentioned so in terms of you know viewership and and, and just uh, ticket sales and all of that is it is it advantageous for the NBA to have yet another dynasty matchup in their championships or is this kind of like old snooze well, it's old news quite clearly, and if it's old news for games, th- this is not uh, dependent on how the outcome happens, but it is very important for the NBA to promote its superstars, and I guess one of the differences is you have three of them, three and a half, if you listen to D- Draymond Green over in uh, in Golden State, and you have one to one and a quarter if you listen to Cleveland. The one that Cleveland has may be the best ever, but that's a debate for another day, but yet Listen, the bottom line is that the matchups for the Game 7 conference finals set all world records, about 9 million viewer average, which was astronomical because there were four great stories, the Rockets, the Warriors, the Celtics, the Cavaliers, and then same old, same old in the finals. It's still great to watch. It's an exciting time for the NBA, salary cap up, franchise values up, $2 billion, Rockets and Clippers, respectively, over the last couple of years, so they're doing well. NHL-wise, Vegas, 31st franchise, single-handedly moving the salary cap up, 78 to $82 million bucks. It's going to be higher because of a 31st franchise anyway, but that franchise being Vegas is even bigger. So yeah. the two times with the two sports and the four stories is really good, I think. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, Vegas is, they're like the kid who screws up the, the grading curve for everyone else, right? But um, no, it's a, it's an incredibly exciting time, I think, for sports. And I think, um, you know, I, I know it's not the same, but I, I, I am sort of reminded about, like, you know, what UConn did for, for women's basketball in NCAA. It, it, you know, dynasties can be good for viewership. It can be good uh, to have an era that is defined by a team or two teams. Um, so I, I think it's good for the league, and, I, and I, um, I, I'm excited to see what happens next. I mean, certainly Golden State, you know, taking one away from Cleveland at home is, uh, is pretty dramatic. So, Well, and, uh, and yeah, yeah. And, and frankly, uh, it's an interesting perspective, as you said, defining an era by teams, and 
it's good for the NBA to focus on those superstar dynasty teams, but we always have to be mindful that you know there are 30 and there are mid-market teams, and it takes a special kind of individual community committed as well as a special kind of market to make middle market teams in the NBA or NHL, for that matter, work very well. Oklahoma City, we'll talk about the similarities after this interview, but Indianapolis is one of the key poster children for all of this. Jim Morris, the vice chairman of Pacer Sports and Entertainment, is one of the big reasons for that. And he's served on this board for an incredibly long time. He has an amazing perspective of how important the Indiana Pacers have been in the old ABA, then the NBA, for the community of Indianapolis. We'll get his interview, but it's an other interesting thing. Listen very carefully. From 2002 to 2007, he served as executive director of the United Nations World Food Program, the largest humanitarian agency in the world addressing world hunger. So no matter what you think of basketball, you ought to talk about this guy as a world-class humanitarian. Here's Jim Morris. Industry leaders, and nobody better as an industry leader, not just from Indianapolis, but the NBA and the Pacers and Pacers Sports and Entertainment. Jim Morris, Vice Chairman, Pacers Sports and Entertainment. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Wonderful. Thank you very much for doing this. And notwithstanding your team not being in the conference finals or the NBA finals, good season? Yeah, we had a great season. Um, the trade... Uh, with Oklahoma City, where we picked up um, Victor Oladipo and and Sabonis was just terrific. Uh, Kevin Pritchard had another good off season, picking up two or three more really good players. Um, great young men uh, love being in Indianapolis. Our fans love them. Uh, we gave Cleveland as, as as good a run for seven games as anybody could. Um, our attendance was terrific. Uh, people are really excited about the Indiana Pacers. Uh, do you have one of those countdown clocks for the 2021 All-Star Game, or is it too far away? You're no, excited about it, though. We are. It's it's a big deal, and to bring it to our city that year, we'll uh, within a 12-13 month period, we will have the NCAA Final Four mm-hmm. for all three divisions in the state of Indiana. We'll host Division One here. We'll have the NBA All-Star Game. We'll have the college football championship here that year. We'll have the Big Ten football championship here that year, the Big Ten uh, basketball tournament for men and women. So it'll be an extraordinary year. But we've, uh, we have our committees organized. Um, it's an expensive proposition. Um, the payoff is enormous, but we have to raise a lot of money. And uh, all the civic leaders and the public officials are have come together to put together a team to raise the money to do the job. Um, Indianapolis is one of those places where the Pacers support the Colts, the Colts support the Pacers, the Speedway supports everyone, the NCAA is here, and we're all for each other. And so when something big comes along, um, it's something we all share and we all own. Maybe you just answered it. Eli Lilly, Amateur Sports Capital of the World, NCAA, Pacers, Colts, uh, Super Bowl 2012. You can name the history of things in Indy. And from an international perspective, it's basically a best practices template. Mm -hmm. A lot of cities want to do it. Very few cities do. What's so special about Indy? How did you accomplish that? Well, I would say in the last 30 years, we've had four, 500 
national, international championships. Um, the professional teams are doing well. The speedway is headed in the right direction. Uh, we've seen this as an opportunity to uh, tell the world uh, about our city's reputation. Uh, we've seen this as an opportunity uh, to change the economics of our community. Today, I can remember when Indianapolis didn't have any hotels or any restaurants downtown. Last year, USA Today said Indianapolis was the number one convention city in America. Today, there are 80,000 people in central Indiana employed in sports, hospitality, tourism, restaurants, etc. And we have found this as a tremendous community building exercise. We hosted the Pan American Games in 1987, and we had 40,000 volunteers who came together um, in, a, in a community endeavor, people from every conceivable background, to do something together to make our city different and better. And this has worked. We've found a great way to, to, to build community, to, to inspire our young people, and we've kept a huge focus on our downtown so that the, the facilities, the events belong to everyone in central Indiana, wherever you may live, and it's worked. Rumor has it, says the bio, 50 years ago you were chief of staff uh, and administrative assistant to the mayor of Indianapolis. Uh, seems like only yesterday, but you, among uh, more than anybody, would understand the necessity for public-private partnerships. This region has set the standard for public investment. Um, what do you say to people that say you shouldn't spend any public money in sports? Well, I would say that basically cities compete. Okay. Indianapolis competes with every city in the world. It used to be only in the U.S., but now we compete with Hong Kong and Tokyo and London. We compete for bright young people. We compete for investment capital. We compete for jobs. We want to be a place that people want to come to. The, the success of Indianapolis in the long term is, is based on Eli Lilly and Company, this remarkable pharmaceutical company recruiting the best, most brilliant young scientists in the world to come. And why will they come? Well, they'll, they'll come because life is good, because schools are good, healthcare is good, we have a great symphony, sports opportunities for their kids. And a city our size, to have these extraordinary aspirations to, to become something really special, it, it takes all of us working together. And the, the public-private partnership, philanthropy, charity, uh, generosity of, of people across the board, the, the willingness of public uh, leaders to make investments with the private sector, it, it has tra transformed our city and the return has been enormous. It's contributed to a growing tax base. It's contributed to a place that has a much different reputation today. And it's a place that, that very bright young people, pardon me, want to come and live. So interesting legacy from your perspective with your other hat as the Pacers, uh, uh, Indiana Sports, uh, Pacers Sports Entertainment uh, co-chair. Uh, ABA team uh, merged in. Uh, the Colts moved from somewhere else, uh, hadn't had really an expansion per se, but the Pacers have been really the fabric of the Indianapolis no. community. Talk about that for Sure. Me. Well, uh, 50 years ago when the um, ABA Pacers uh, came into being, 
some remarkable citizens stretched hard to make it happen. Um, we had a great uh, run. Bobby Leonard, three yeah. ABA champions, yeah. led to four teams from the ABA going into the NBA. And the, the NBA Pacers made Indianapolis a big league city. It, it, and we did it downtown where all the benefits uh, occurred, accrued to the city. And it, it gave, I think, the Colts confidence that they could come and be successful here. The Speedway, obviously, the largest sporting event in the world. Um, that, that we had the wherewithal and the focus and the commitment and the passion to get it done. Uh, and as far as the Pacers are concerned, how does the NBA make it easier, does it, for a mid-market, small-market team to yeah. coexist? Well, I, it, it's tough. Uh, I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, we compete with Los Angeles and New York and Miami and Chicago. But by the way, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago successfully on the court, on my Yeah, end. sure. Yeah. But, you know, they, we pay the same salaries that they pay, but you look at their local cable deals that are 20, 30 times bigger than ours. Um, we, we've had this good civic partnership that's made it possible, but the NBA has been supportive of revenue sharing and has, has made it easier for small market teams to make it. Future NBA, wave your magic wand. What's the one thing you want to change, the NBA? Well, I'm, I'm excited about the NBA. Yeah. I, I think it's as strong today. Attendance is up. Our television ratings are up. Our attendance is very strong. Our fans are excited about our team. Um, obviously, these issues of one and done and yeah. young people and how all this works to, together, I think, is something that we need to resolve over time. But... Um, I'm very bullish on the future of the NBA. We, we're lucky. Adam Silver is as good a guy and as competent a commissioner and understands all of the dynamics, and he's an honorable man. So we've got great leadership at the top. Uh, our franchise has strong ownership, so it's all headed in the right direction. I'm saving the most important to me, anyway, question for last. You were executive director of the United Nations World Food Program the largest uh, uh, humanitarian agency in the world uh, assessing and dealing with world hunger for a long time. Um, very significant part of your world. Uh, obviously, why do you do it? Comfortable about doing it, but what's your perception of philanthropy in the world of sports today? Well, I, you know, I think that um, our owners are very generous. Our owners, by and large, fall in love with their communities. Herb Simon owns the Pacers because he knows it's good for Indianapolis and wants it to be of great benefit to our community. And his sense of ownership is that everybody who lives in Indiana, in fact, owns the Pacers. Hmm. Um, and, and this is a community with a partnership mentality. We help each other. Um, for a city our size to do extraordinary things, we have to come together. There was a point where we had 120 companies in Indianapolis contributing 2 to 5% of pre-tax profits for charitable purposes, and it transformed our city. But um, a sharing mentality, not being selfish, caring about everybody across the board, uh, sort of builds the reputation of the city, of the franchise, and we're all in this together. 
And I, I think you would find that um, uh, our philanthropy is widespread, as is many of uh, professional sports, but it, it pays off. People have uh, confidence and respect and, and appreciate the, the, the generosity and the sharing mentality. And, and sharing is really about caring and about building a community, and it works. Key to mid-markets behaving as a big market. We're all in this together. You heard Jim Morris. Thank you very much, my friend. Really mm-hmm. Thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, sir. When you think of Indiana and Indianapolis, you think of Jim Morris, but you also think of what the Pacers have done. Amy, what's your immediate take coming out of this interview? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like that you, you kind of asked him about spending public money on, on sports because I know that's such a hot-button issue. And, and he raised you know a point that I had never considered before. The fact is, it used to be that, that cities were just competing domestically and as entertainment destinations and sporting destinations. And now it's become uh, something that they have to compete with internationally. And it's, it's an interesting conflict as more leagues, and I, I guess the NFL really comes to mind, but more leagues try to become more global. Um, so that was really fascinating to me. Well, and it's, it's similar to that because these middle markets are using sports as an economic development tool. Indy for a long time has been known as the, Indy, the amateur sports capital of the world. The Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the 500, where we did this interview and we'll do more. Half billion dollars of economic impact. But here's the important thing. Super Bowl in 2012, as Jim Morris referred to, had a significant impact on revitalizing the east side of Indy, downtown neighborhoods like Mass Ave and Fountain Square. And that happens because sports in downtown drives it. It also is really important. Airport traffic, hotel bookings, restaurants packed and international flights, all because Indianapolis has used sports as an economic development tool, much as Oklahoma City as their MAPS plan, much as San Antonio, they get Final Fours all the time. So the amateur sports capital leads to the Pan Am Games, leads to Lucas Oil Stadium, leads to the Colts, leads to Bankers Life Stadium, leads to the draft, leads to the Iwood Golf Tournament, and on and on and on. And so the other piece of this, I think, is the NBA itself and what they do for these kinds of markets. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, he made a really good point about how, you know, the he said, you know, the Pacers are really the fabric of the Indianapolis community and the Pacers made Indianapolis a quote-unquote big league city. And I guess that's debatable, but, you know, in his mind, and, and I think he's got a really strong point, he made it sort of um, a, a place where the Colts could, could travel. And so when you, like you were saying, when you build on teams on teams on teams and then you can start having these kind of alternate events coming in a lot of college championships that he was mentioning coming in significant investment that goes with it of course but the the return is strong so i think um i i think certainly in this market in particular the nba has done a tremendous amount and also it's really important as you tied it in earlier global is important but superstars can exist in relatively small markets. Kevin Durant decided to leave uh, Oklahoma City not because he didn't like what was happening in Oklahoma City, but he wanted to win some rings in Golden State. It looks like he's got them and more. But middle market franchises, because of the way the NBA is set up, can attract uh, uh, players and can remain competitive. And so it's not just the survival of the fittest, which Premier League and soccer and others have as well. What's your take on all of that? 
Yeah, I, no, I think I, I think for mid markets, you know, there's a there's a tremendous upside. There's not the same overhead in terms of, uh, you know, building stadiums. I think you have a lot of mid markets that would be more flexible in terms of public private partnerships. Um, so I, I, I do agree that, that when you talk about a mid market like Indianapolis or OKC, the, it, it, the possibilities are kind of limitless if you are a professional franchise. Yep. And here's the other thought. He was very responsive when I asked him out of left field what he would change if he could change the NBA. And here's a, he's a governor, so he's got to be very careful about what he says. But right. it is interesting. Now, <laughs> now, what I would do is to make sure that there is no distinction between global NBA, no matter where you are, which means I would push as hard as you could to get franchises in Barcelona, in, in London, uh, maybe in Shanghai, South America. Easier said than done, but it's not too long before... Everything is tied to everything else, and with the NBA, you can manage a few different kind of logistics and make sure it's a truly international league almost overnight. But you've been thinking a lot about your magic wand NBA issue. What is it? Well, this is my favorite question that you asked in the interview, and I'm so excited, and that is the one thing I would change about the NBA, and here's my plan. Okay, so free throws, right? Everybody should be able to make a free throw. That should be a non-issue. So... If you miss a free throw, I think that your team should be subtracted a point. And then you cut down the number of uh, allowable fouls from six to three, and it becomes this like whole paradigm-changing rule where people aren't drawing fouls anymore, or they are because they're really good at free. I mean, I, I just think that would be that would make the game so exciting. I think that's a wonderful idea to sit in a bar and talk about. When you get into implementation of it, Will Chamberlain, Dwight Howard, you've got some built-in enemies already. But, you know, your point is that they're just not going to play. So that's what makes the NBA great. That's what makes keeping score great because you can have ideas, no matter how wacky, advance to the level of business reasonableness because Amy Tennery has advanced them and listened to her because she's a rising superstar in this field. you got to take her seriously. Rick Harl, see you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score. <laughs>